Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Lord, thanks for this opportunity um, to really learn from you, Lord, um, through JL and as he prepares to unpack scripture, Father, I pray that uh, for each person here that we would um, hear what it is that, that you need us to hear. And thank you for the work and the study that he has done and, and put into this, Lord, and, and the ministry of he and his wife, Father, that we'd be able to learn from their wisdom and their experience. And Lord, that we would be attentive, uh, not just to his words, but to your Holy Spirit. We worship you and we love you. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, As Luke said, my name is J.L. Martin and um, I am the pastor of children and family at Heston Mennonite Brethren Church in Heston, Kansas. My wife and I, uh, my wife is Bethany. She's with me. We have four kids. Uh, a 22-year-old son, and then 20, 18, and 15-year-old daughters. And uh, we have been at Hessen for 14 years, and I was in other churches for about eight years before that. Um, and um, I'm a graduate of Sterling College and Denver Seminary, just a little bit about, uh, about me. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 78 this morning. I've titled the sermon, Equipping Future Generations. Um, and that's a phrase that is, uh, we have a drum set and it has it on that in our church. And it's kind of been a motto at Hessen MB Church for a lot of years. And a little bit of the story of how I got to Heston is that uh, the church in Heston was growing with a lot of younger families. And so they had a pastor and they had a youth pastor. And they started talking about what would it look like to bring on a third staff person And the conversation going, well, normally a church would bring on a worship person as the third staff person. But they really felt like God was leading them a little different direction. And that direction was, what does it look like to equip families to pass on faith to their kids? Not just children's ministry, but what would it look like to have somebody to pass on, equip moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas to pass on faith to kids? And so they started talking about that. They looked into uh, what that might look like, and they decided to bring on a pastor of children and family, and that is the position that I now hold. I was the first person to hold it, uh, to have this position. And so it gave me an opportunity to create what this would look like, because there wasn't a lot of job descriptions out there. What is it? They had, there was children's pastors, but what does it look like to equip moms and dads? What does that look like? And so that phrase, equipping future generations, became kind of a motto for, for me and what that would look like. And so I always like to get you talking because you're going to listen to me for a little bit. So you're going to just going to talk to the person beside you. What does the phrase equipping future generations mean to you? So just for 30 seconds, talk to the person beside you. What does equipping future generations mean to you? So go ahead and talk, talk a little bit. And then we'll come back together.
So as we talk about equipping future generations, there's really a three scriptures. All of scripture teaches this, but there's three scriptures that uh, Joanne was in a cohort with me, and I just these three scriptures I talk about all the time. Uh, I'm doing one of them today, Psalm 78, so we're going to look at that one. The others are Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, and Deuteronomy 4, 6 to 9. Both, all of these passages talk about what it means to equip future generations. And so Psalm 78 is a psalm that is not written by David. So a lot of the psalms are written by David. This one is not. It is actually written by Asaph. And Asaph was appointed by David to be a lead worshiper. So he was a worship leader, Asaph was, and he was appointed by David. And so Psalm 50 and 73 to 83 are uh, attributed to Asaph. And so we're going to look at this. There's two points um, that I have this morning. The first one, they both start with R. Again, that's a pastor's thing we like to do. So the first one is remember. And remember, verses 1 to 4. So Asaph begins by leading the people to worship by focusing on remembering. The word remember is used often in the Old Testament. You see that word used over and over and over again. And when we remember, the goal is always to give God the glory. So we're remembering what he has done. And so we're remembering these things as we go through these verses. And what are we remembering? Verse 3 says, What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. So what would have happened in those days? They didn't have the internet, and they didn't have all those things. And so all of teaching was handed down orally. So they would have had to speak it. They would have had to share. This is what is going on here. And so they would have passed that on. We heard it from somebody, and we know it now, and now we're going to pass it on. And so this idea of remembering what we have heard and what we have known goes on in verse 4 to say we're not going to hide it from our children so that's really important we're going to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders he has done it is really important to pass on to the next generation the things that are important something that is really important to you you tell others about it And so they were told, we're going to pass this on to the next generation. And this idea of generations is really important. All of us are part of a generation, and all of us are charged with passing it on to another generation. And so what I'm teaching today to some of you young people, all you kids and youth in the room, you're going to be taking this, and you're going to be passing it on to the next generation. And hopefully there's people in your life that are passing those things on to you. But what are we passing on? There's lots of things that can be passed on, but in this psalm we find specific things. We find this idea of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. So I want you to look, if you have your Bible there, if you look, LORD is in all caps. So I'm going to do a little teaching with you. I'm going to step out of my preaching hat and do a little teaching with you. So if you look in your Bible and you have the word LORD in all caps, that is actually a name. It's 
really important to understand that. It's not just Lord as in, oh, yeah, we know the Lord, but this is a name of God. Anytime you see Lord in all caps, it's actually a name. And sometimes we miss out on these names because of the way the Bible is translated to us. And so it is the divine name Yahweh. Lord is actually Yahweh. And it's used 6,510 times in the Old Testament. And out of their respect to God and their fear of defiling his name, the Jews would not even use this phrase. That was how holy Yahweh, Lord, was. They wouldn't even say it. Instead, they used the word Adonai. And so why is this important? Yahweh literally means I am. Okay, so I am. And so I'm just going to throw some of these out to you. You can go look at them later. But we have Yahweh Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. That's in Exodus 17, 15. We have Yahweh Rapha, the Lord is my healer, in Exodus 15, verse 26. We have Yahweh Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, in Psalm 23, 1. So think about that psalm that you know so well It's not just the Lord is my shepherd. That's his name. That is his name there. We have Yahweh Jireh. The Lord is my provider. Genesis 22, 14. We have Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Judges 6, 24. Here's some fun ones, fun to say anyway. Yahweh Sidkenu, which is the Lord my righteousness in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there, Exodus 48:35, and Yahweh M Kadesh, the Lord our sanctification in Leviticus 28. So those are all fun to say, but the point is these are telling us who God is, not just what he does. You see the difference? It's not just what he's doing. This is who he is. This is his identity. This is his character. These are not going to change. It's not just something he did one time. This is who he is forever. And so they were to remember the praiseworthy deeds of Yahweh and his name. They were also to remember his power and the wonders he has done. What are, what are the things that he, they're thinking about? So we look back at our Old Testament and we see they're thinking about the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15, where he says to them, I'm going to give you children so many as the stars in the sky. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise to you that no matter what, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you always. And that covenant will not change even if you don't keep your side of the bargain. It's a difference between a covenant and a contract. A contract is broken once one side doesn't keep their part. But God made a covenant with Israel that was a covenant that would never change. And the way he did this, I, I, I love this picture, and so I have to uh, walk this out a little bit. And so in Genesis, we have this picture of this covenant being made with Abraham. And if you remember this story, it's kind of an obscure story, but I love the story. 
they t- what they would do to ratify a covenant in, in the Old Testament or in the Bible times is they would take an animal, they would cut it in half, and they would put two pieces uh, on, on altars here. And the two parties involved in this would walk through the pieces, and that would ratify that covenant. And the idea was, what happened to these animals, if you don't keep your side, that's what's going to happen to you. So if you don't keep the, the, the covenant, you're going to die. That's basically what they were saying. So here's the amazing thing of God that shows his love to us. So Abraham comes to the covenant signing ceremony here, and we have the two pieces, and they're getting ready to walk through these pieces, and Abraham goes to sleep. I don't know if you remember the, know the story. It's an amazing story. Abraham goes to sleep, and God, God walks through the pieces by himself. Why does he do that? Because God knows you and I can't keep that, and so he makes a covenant with himself out of his great love to you. He made a covenant with himself because he knew you and I, we can't keep it. It's an amazing picture that they would have remembered of this covenant, of his power. The other thing they would have thought about, they would have thought about Joseph and the many brothers and how he was used to save the people of Egypt because of the way he was put into power. They would have, they would have thought about that as part of his power and the wonders he has done. They would have thought about Moses and how he led the people through dry land. He walked through the Red Sea. They would have thought that is power. That is what he did. God did that for them. Those are the things that they would have been talking about. They would have talked about his name as Yahweh. They would have talked about these amazing things that God had done in the story. And that leads you and I to ask this question. I'm going to do it for myself, and then I'm going to ask you to do it for your, for your own self. So what about me? What are the ways, what are the wonders I have seen God do in my life? What are the ways God has provided for me? So I think about when I was a young pastor with young kids and I was making not enough money to pay the bills. There was not enough money coming in. It was very obvious. I'm an accounting major. I know that you need more income than expenses. That was not happening. Yet, we would occasionally just have money, checks, like insurance checks, or money just show up that was able to help us pay the bills at times when we were young and in ministry. That was the provision of God. And so we celebrate, we remember that God provided for us in that way. Another way I think about this is the provision of peace. So Yahweh Shalom, God who is peace. I think about the peace we had. Our uh, second child is Mackenzie. Uh, She was born uh, five weeks early, and so she spent two weeks in the NICU. And the thing that was amazing to Bethany and I as we think back on this story is There were a lot of days that we should have been totally stressed out. There were some days that could have went really bad. And yet we had a calm and a peace that only can be explained by God being there with us and by 
the, the support of the body of Christ coming o- along with us as well. So he provides financially for us. He provides peace for us. He provided pre- his presence with us. My youngest daughter, uh, Molly, was, I uh, can't remember how many years ago this was, but we had a basketball goal. And it wasn't cemented into the ground. It just had uh, some weights on it, some sand in it to try to keep it there. Uh, it can be, uh, and anyway, so it had the sand in there. And she was out playing basketball with her, with her brother. For whatever reason, uh, the basketball, basketball goal tipped over. And the goal actually came down and just hit her uh, right uh, Right, right below her chin, was that right above her, above her body, right above her eye, um, and that was really scary, because that's pretty a pretty heavy thing that fell on her, and yet all it was was she, we just went to a nurse that we knew from our church, they put some little bandages on it, and she was fine, she didn't even have to have stitches, but it could have went very different in that, and we just know that God's presence was with her. So the question I have for you is, What are the things that God has done through you as a church? What are the things you can remember? What are the things he has done here that you can celebrate and praise him for? That's what we should remember. We need to remember the things that God has done in the body of Christ. And we need to celebrate those things. And then personally, what has God done in your life? Those are the things we need to be passing on to the next generation. We need to be telling them, you know what God did for us? He did this. Because we all, all generations need to know who God is and what he has done for us. And those are the things that we're passing on to the next generation. We're passing on who he is. We're passing on this idea of his power and the wonders he has done. So that's the remember uh, piece. The second uh, point I have is verses 5 through 7. It's the word recite. So we're going to speak something else. We're going to say, say something else. It says we're going to, dec- he decreed statutes for Jacob, the law in Israel. And you're commanded to teach this to your children. Commanded to teach this to your children. Now, a fascinating thing to think about is, what is the purpose of the law? As you think about the Old Testament and the law that is given, what was its purpose? The law's purpose never was to save you. You know that, right? Like, the law doesn't save. What is the purpose of the law, then? The purpose of the law is to crush you. It is to crush you so that you say, I need a Savior. That's what the purpose of the law is. And so we teach the law, we recite the law, but its point is to crush us. To say, we can't do this. We need a Savior. And so that is, as you think about the law in the Old Testament, now now hear me clearly. I'm not saying the law is bad. The law is good. The law is right. The law is holy. It's God's best way. I like to tell people, God's way is best. When God says no to something, he has a reason for saying no to it. So speak to the younger uh, people in the crowd right now. When your parents tell you no, 
or when God tells you no, there's a reason for it. Ask, what is he trying to provide for me, and what is he trying to protect me from? And you can say the same thing for your parents. What is my mom and dad trying to protect me from, and how does that provide for something in the future? That is, the God's way is best, but the law, we all know this, the law doesn't just deal with behavior. The law also looks at your heart, and that's where all of us fail in. We might do the actions, but what's our heart? Do we, do we really want to? So there's this idea that we, well, we're kind of pulling this law thing off. Well, the answer, the reality, you're not pulling it off at all. The law is not about progress. It is about perfection. To actually be saved by the law, you have to keep it perfectly. And none of us in this room can do that. None of us can keep the law perfectly. So the law is good. It is God's best way. But its point is to point you to a Savior. The law's message is, if you do this then this happens. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. If you obey, then I will bless you. If you disobey, then I will not. And so it's if then, if then. The law tells us what to do, but it doesn't have the power to change your heart. The law tells us what to do, and it's the best way, but it can't change your heart. It's why in Romans 6.14 we read, You are no longer under law, but under grace. There's a shift that happens, and it's really important to us to understand that. He goes on to say in verse 6, You pass this on to future generations who would tell their children. I love to talk about this with young families. I I talk about this when we get ready to do parent-child dedication at our church. I'll meet with the young family, and I will tell them, I'll share this scripture with them, and say, this is about multi-generational faithfulness. It's not just what you're doing for your child. It's what you're doing for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and your great-great-great-grandchildren. It goes on and on and on. It's not just one generation. It's a multi-generational faithfulness that God is looking for here. And verse 7, it goes on to talk about that they would trust in or hope in God. They would, should hope in or trust in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So my question is, how are they, what is the motivation here for them to keep the commandments? Is it because they were just told to? Is it because they worked really hard at it? Is it because they were good people? Is it because they were afraid of punishment if they didn't obey? The answer is no. It's because they recognize the remember that we already talked about. They're recognizing God's mercy. They're recognizing God's goodness. They're recognizing God has been there all the time for them. And because of God and who he is and what he's done, we want to obey. So, some, one of my favorite authors used to say, we obey out of delight, not out of dread. We obey out of delight, not out of dread. Because of what God has done, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, 
because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us, we obey not because we have to, but because we want to out of delight for what he has done. He goes on to say we obey out of gratitude, not obligation. We don't just do it because we have to. We actually do it out of thankfulness. And it totally changes how we look at the law when we understand that in that way. And so as we think about his deeds here in verse 7, the works of God, I'm going to jump to what has been done for us in the gospel. What is the gospel? I like to teach, uh, for those of you, uh, uh, I'm a part of the southern district of the U.S. uh, MB family, and so I lead uh, our kids camp uh, for third through fifth graders, and I train the counselors And one of the things we train in is, what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension out of his great love for us. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. It's completed. I can't add to it. There's nothing I add to the gospel. Jesus has done it all. And so the gospel's message is because, therefore. So where the law was if, then, the gospel is because, therefore. Because Jesus loves you, and guess what? He loves you a lot. Because he loves you so much, therefore, I will obey and follow what he asked me to do. I'll say no to the things he says no to. I will worship and serve and tell others about Jesus, not because I have to, but because of who he is. And so the gospel, because of what he has done, and we see this all over, think about the creation around us. Because of his great love for us, he gives us this beautiful creation out of his love. And because of that love, we obey. Think about what I told you about the covenant. Because he made a covenant with himself, We are not doomed because we fall short. We have a Savior who is taking our place, takes the punishment that you and I deserve. We have a spirit that is given to us that allows us to never be alone. We don't do this in our own strength. We don't do it in our own power. We have a spirit that guides us to truth, that gives us power. And because of Jesus... Because of what he has done, he fulfilled the law in your place. That is really good news for you and I. So Jesus had to come. We always are really good about talking about his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Why did Jesus live 33 years? What was all of those years about? If it was just about his death and resurrection, why was he here for all those years? Because he had to obey all of the stuff that you and I could not do. So he had to be a child, and he had to be face temptation, and yet not sin. He had to do all of this to fulfill the law in your place. And that is really good news, church. That Jesus fulfilled the law for you and I, so that then... We have this free gift of salvation that he gives to us that we receive by faith and grace, and it's not based on our works. 
That's what Jesus did for us. And because of all of that is why we then live as followers of him. We want to do this. Jesus has done so much for us in defeating sin and death and Satan on the cross. He was our substitute. He took our place. He was our sacrifice. He is our righteousness. He is our victory. He intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. He sits at the right hand of God. All of that is good news, and that's all completed because Jesus loves you. He loves you so much, and he wants us. So when we talk about what do we remember and what do we recite to the next generation, we remember who God is. We remember what he has done. We remember these two words of law and gospel, and we realize that this passing on to the next generation is the most important thing, most important job that we will ever have. If we don't pass it on, who's going to do that? And so you might be sitting here saying, well, I don't have kids in the home anymore, but all of us, everyone in this room, has the privilege and opportunity to pass on faith to the next generation. It might not be to your children. It might not be to your grandchildren. It might be to your neighbor across the street. It might be to somebody you don't even know yet. We have the great opportunity to make much of Jesus, to make much of what God has done, to talk about what he has done in our own lives, to talk about what he's done in your church, to talk about all of these things. And that's what we pass on to the next generation. We talk about these things because... This is not, this thing called church is not just something we show up to one day a week. It's not something that we, is just, oh, we got to go sit through and uh, um, somebody talking to me for an hour. It's actually a family, and it's actually about building his kingdom here in Henderson and to the ends of the earth. And we do that by passing on faith to our children, our grandchildren, kids that we don't even know, And we do it by encouraging one another in these things. Remember what God did in our family. Remember what God did in our church. Remember what God did around us, what he did in his word. And those are the things that we want to pass on so that people know who God is and they can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so his kingdom is advanced uh, for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity, the privilege it is to pass on faith, to equip future generations. And every one of us in this room is a part of a generation. And so we all are a part of this, and we all have the opportunity. And I pray that as we remember and recite these things, that we make much of you, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's all for your glory. It's all for your kingdom. And so we just ask for you to empower us through your spirit that you would remind us of all of these things. And we just, I just pray blessing over this church upon these people. May they know who they are in Christ and may they walk in step with your spirit as they go from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, 
visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.